It's such a privilege for me to be able to share with you on this morning because I'll be sharing from Matthew chapter 6. And Matthew chapter 6 is one of my favorite parts. This whole chunk from Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, is one of my favorite parts of the whole Bible. In fact, I think if I have to name the first chunk of scripture that really shaped and discipled me, it was this. And then our preaching roster behind the scenes started to change and my name got moved around and I was so nervous and I couldn't, I didn't really want to tell Pastor Chiu, but my, I was nervous that my name would land on eight or four or somewhere outside of the Sermon on the Mount, but it stayed in it. In fact, it landed right in the middle in Matthew chapter six. So I'm so excited to share with you today, partly also because, actually I'm excited, but I'm also a little nervous because I hope that I can do one of my favorite passages of scripture, justice. So, so come, let us, let us see what we have today. You can see on the screen at the back. Well, I'm really loud on the monitor, so maybe if you can just give me a little less on the monitors, that'll be helpful. Thanks. So, title of today's sermon is Two Treasures. Everybody turn to the friend sitting next to you, hold up two fingers and say to them, Two Treasures. Two treasures. Turn to the other person and say to them, two treasures, two treasures. All right. And we are looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. I have it on the screen here. So why don't we read this together as a whole congregation? Can we do that, SIBKL? All right. Let's read it together. One, two, three. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But stop for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Father, we just pray that you will add your blessing to this word. I pray, Lord, that you will use uh, um, these words to do a transforming work deep in our hearts. Father, I pray that as your word is being preached, as your word, the double-edged sword, goes out into the atmosphere, it will land on fertile soil. It will land on hearts that are soft. I pray, Lord God, that you will, you will do an incisive work and a decisive work, Lord God, to transform us from glory to glory. May I decrease, may your word increase. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So we are here today, two treasures. Now it's a very interesting thing because as we've been tra tracking through the gospel of Matthew, we, we, we're starting to see in a, in, in a short while, but I'll show you that we've been seeing it for a while now, two things. And the whole of the Sermon on the Mount tends to be like it's forking in left, to the left and to the right. One way and another way. One way and another way. But I'll tell you something about treasures. There is, of course, 
everybody's, well, not everybody, may, may not be everybody's, but we all know about gold. Gold is a treasure. Gold is valuable. Gold is highly prized. But do you know about a certain mineral called pyrite? How many of you have heard of the mineral called pyrite? Yep, one or two of you, a small handful of you. Well, a lot of miners also never knew about a mineral called pyrite. Pyrite is this mineral that looks like gold, feels like gold, smells like gold, but it's not gold, right? And I think as Malaysians, we kind of understand what that phenomenon looks like. Pyrite is called fool's gold because it has fooled many a miner before, thinking that it was gold and they mined it only to discover it did not hold the value they thought it ought to hold. Two treasures. One is the counterfeit and then the other is the real thing. And today, I want to bring you through the Sermon on the Mount to land at this part on two treasures. But first, I want to show you this. Throughout the time we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount, we've been seeing a comparison between an earthly kingdom and a heavenly kingdom. Because God's kingdom has arrived, He is breaking in. And so, God is, Jesus is introducing us to the characteristics of this new kingdom, this heavenly kingdom. And so, you're starting to see a contrast. Now, not last week. Last week was Pastor James Kawalya. Two weeks ago, Pastor Chu preached on salt and light. And Pastor Samkyong preached on how Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Matthew chapter 5. Now at the end of Matthew 5, Jesus says this very cryptic, um, um, startling thing. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you shall by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And I know that whenever we, we, we see that, we think, what's going on? How can our, our righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees? Immediately, two roads. There is the righteousness of the Pharisees, and then there is the righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. And from this point on, Jesus goes on to list down six things. And in all these six things, he says, you have heard that it was said. Who said? Pharisees said, the law said, you have heard that it was said, don't A, B, C, D, E. But I tell you, I tell you something else. What are these six things? Well, the way the earthly kingdom deals with, let's say murder, for example, is this. Don't murder, right? Don't murder. But what is the heavenly kingdom's way of doing murder? Don't do murder, but if you are angry at your brother, it's as if you've murdered your brother in your heart. There is the road, and then there is the high road. What's the next one? Don't commit adultery. So the law and the Pharisees and the earthly kingdom will say, don't mess around, don't commit adultery. What does Jesus say? Assuredly, I tell you, yeah, don't commit adultery. But if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. The road the high road. What's the next one? Divorce. Divorce, right? What does the world say? Yeah, go ahead, go get your divorce. Just make sure you get your papers because your papers are going to legitimize your divorce. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, no. You know what legitimizes your divorce? If you have good, 
solid, real reasons. Reasons that Jesus says are reasons for divorce. That legitimizes divorce. Not just that you can anyhow get divorced as long as you got the papers. It makes it legit. It doesn't. For the record, for the record, irreconcilable differences is not a legitimate reason to get a divorce. For the record, we grew apart over the years. It's not a legitimate reason to get a divorce. And just so you know, we've fallen out of love for many years. It's not a legitimate reason to get divorced. No fault divorce is not a legitimate reason to get divorced. There is the road, and then there is the high road. Friends, how many of you want to be on the road? And how many of you want to be on the high road? How many of you want to be on the high road? S-I-B-K-L, yeah? Then it goes on. The earthly kingdom says, honor your oath. You made an oath, honor it. What does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? He says, don't just honor your oath. Like, don't make your word come good just because you made a big deal about it. Make your word come good all the time. So when you say yes, mean it. When you say no, mean it. Don't just mean it when it's a big deal and you made an oath and you swore by Jerusalem or something like that. Always keep your word. The road, the high road. And it goes on. The way of the world says, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You kill my man, I kill your man, right? But what does Jesus say? Turn the cheek. Absorb the violence and prevent the onset of a cycle of retribution of violence. Amen? That's what the high road is. And then what does the world say? Love your neighbor, hate your enemies. What does Jesus say? No, love your neighbor, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. That's the road. And then there's the high road. Matthew chapter 5. There's always two ways to go. This is Matthew chapter 5. And then this weekend, we're in Matthew chapter 6. And Pastor Lee Chu is preaching on, on the earlier section in Matthew chapter 6. And that section deals with how we give alms, how we pray, and how we fast. Now, the world gives alms and prays and fasts to be seen by men. That is one way to give and pray and fast. But for us, Jesus says, do it in secret so that your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Catch Pastor Lichu's sermon. If you haven't yesterday, catch it um, after this at 11 o'clock or go back and catch it on YouTube, right? But let me, let me rest on this one just a little bit before I move on because this is going to be the immediate context leading into two treasures, right? What does it mean for, for us to give alms and to pray and to fast to be seen by men? It might look like this. I mean, how does the world give alms? With pomp, right? With announcing it to everybody, make a big deal about it. Hey guys, I'm going to give, I'm going to donate 50,000 ringgit to this school. And you know what? I'm not just going to donate 50,000 ringgit to this school. I'm going to donate 50,001 so that when they list down all the list of donors, my name floats to the top. And then everybody is going to say, wow, this guy, he is the top donor to this school. So generous. He must be so successful. He must be such a good guy. Come, I give you clap. Right? 
That's how the world does giving alms. And then the praying and the fasting is the same, right? You make a huge deal, you go out there, you pray, you make a show about it, everybody looks off when you fast. Wow, this guy Puasa for Jesus, so hebat, look like so some fool like that, so tired, so like going to faint like that. And everybody looks and says, wow, this person uh, must be so pious, must have such a relationship with Jesus. They must be so in love with Jesus. Wow, I really, I really admire them. Come, I give you a clap. Right? And what, what's going on here? Now, you need to understand, when you read this passage, you will see Jesus say on each occasion, Assuredly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. What does that mean? What does it mean? What reward? What reward did they receive? I tell you what reward they received. Come, I give you a clap. Come, wow, you're so good. Wow, you are so kenga. Wow, you must be so generous. Wow, you must be so pious. This guy is such a good guy. He is such a this, he's such a that. All the adulation of men, all the praise of men, all the uncut of men, that is a reward on the earth. That is an earthly reward. And it is into this context that Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do you see this? Do you see this? That's why I want to move on. Let's bring the table back. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So when the Father sees what is done in secret, He rewards you. That reward doesn't come here. You may go completely unnoticed, but it is banked into heaven and you will receive it one day. It is better. It is better. Amen? Two ways. The, the road and the high road. And then if you, and then today, today we are on treasure, right? Earthly treasure, as you saw in the text, I simplified it, money. And then heavenly treasure, simplified it, God. That's what verse 24 says, but I'll unpack it a little bit more later. And if truly, if you were to go into chapter 7, you will see more, more pairs, more motifs of these two, right? You will see two, two gates, the broad gate, the narrow gate. You see two roads, the broad road, the narrow road. You see two trees, the bad tree, which produces bad fruit, and the good tree, which produces good fruit. And finally, you see two responses to hearing the word of God. One is, you ignore and disobey him, and you'll crash like a foundation on the sand. But if you obey the word that you've heard, then you'll still be standing in spite of the storm, like your foundation is built on the rock, the road, the high road, two treasures. Everybody turn, everybody turn, turn to the friend, say two treasures, two treasures. There's an earthly treasure and there's a heavenly treasure. Let's get into this. I want to show you, I want to show you that there is that treasure, which is the counterfeit. And then there is this treasure, which is precious treasure, which is the real treasure. And what do I want to show you? Three things today. Three things today. Number one is this. Jesus is this treasure. Number two, keep your eyes on this treasure. And number three, you can't hedge between two treasures. Why don't, why don't we say this together? Amen? Can we say this together? One, two, three. Jesus is this treasure. Number two, keep your eyes on this treasure. Number three, you can't hedge between two treasures. 
Let's start with the first one. Jesus is this treasure. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. What's going on? What is this picture of moth and rust and thieves? Well, I'll tell you something. This idea that moth can destroy your treasure, it's really a picture of an outside agent coming in, finding your treasure and attacking it until it wears and breaks down. It is destroyed by an outside force. Now, if if you're a young parent in this house, how many young parents in this house? You can just wave your hands, right? Yeah, if you're a young parent in this house, young grandparents too, yeah? If you're a young parent in this house, you have probably learned by now not to make your household belongings your earthly, your any treasure. You know why? Because if you've got three kids, let's say you've got three kids, okay? Man, that's like having three moths, right? And these moths, these moths are big, right? They are like yay tall, and these moths have hands, right? And these moths may not fly, but they have intelligence, and they will use their intelligence for mischief and curiosity. And I may or may not be talking from personal experience. Do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, them, treasures on earth where moth can destroy. But maybe you're saying to me, no lah, pastor, you know what? You know what? I'm going to find a way to moth-proof my treasure. So, 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 so you go do something to this treasure of yours and you somehow manage to moth-proof it, right? So that, so that it's indestructible. And, and I ask you, how do you do it? And you tell me, no, I can't tell you because it's a top secret, right? Okay, fine. So you've moth-proofed your treasure. And then rust destroys it. What does it mean? What is this picture of rust destroying your treasure? It really means this, that over time, it decays. Over time, it wears down. That nothing needed to come into it to siege it and to destroy it by itself because of the passage of time, it wears down. That's what it means for rust to destroy. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Pastor, pastor, you know what? I'm going to try to find a way to rust-proof my treasure. So you know what? I, I, don't have, I don't just have to moth-proof it. Now I have to moth and rust-proof my treasure. So you go ahead and you go about doing it and you finally manage to rust-proof it so that it is also, it is, it is, first it was indestructible, but now it is it was imperishable, right? You've got this imperishable treasure. And I ask you, hey, bro, how do you do it? And you say, no, I can't tell you. It's a top secret. And then a thief breaks in and steals it. Intact, whole. Can I tell you over history how many kings have tried to rust-proof and moth-proof their kingdoms only for a rival king to come in, pick the whole thing up and go? And it's not just kings. Businessmen, tycoons, ordinary people, poor people with very little, everybody trying to rust-proof, moth-proof everything that they can. But thieves, in the end, can still break in and steal. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. But instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, I need to give you a qualifier here because some of you might be thinking, so pastor, like that, are you trying to say that 
cannot own anything. Uh. Christian means cannot own anything. Christian means cannot have a bank account. Christian means cannot have investments. And what's going to do to my house? You know, what's going to do to all my bonds? And what's going to do to my stocks? No, that is not what we mean, right? Because you've got to understand the operative word here is treasure. Do not stop. Do not make earthly things your treasure, your object of highest value, the one you love the most, the one that masters you. SIBKL. Are we good? Are we good with this? You guys understand, right? So don't go out here and say that, wow, I went to SIBKL and they said, Christians cannot have any property. No, that's not what we mean, right? We're not communists, right? Um, so, So don't store for yourselves treasures on earth. Stop instead treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy. It is truly indestructible, where, where it is truly imperishable, and where thieves cannot break in and steal, it is eternally secure. So I'm going to ask you, what does this look like? Because you, know you know what's the irony to all this? It's very easy to imagine treasures on earth. So easy. We all know what treasures on earth look like. We hold them, we cling to them. Someday, sometimes we let them go. So we remember what treasures on earth are. But what's this treasures in heaven? It's so, it's so wishy-washy. It's so weird. I don't know what it is. Let me give you a few suggestions, right? Could it be, could it be that treasures on earth is every time you've blessed someone who is less privileged than you? You know why? Because Jesus said, Whenever, whatever you did to the least among you, you did it to me, right? And maybe that's a good treasure. I think that's a very good treasure. And I would love, I would love to go to heaven and for Jesus to say to me, you know what, Fergus? When you fed that beggar, you fed me. When you clothed that beggar, you clothed me. Thank you. When you went to Primas Layang and taught uh, 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 those kids tuition, you taught me. Thank you. Thank you, I received that blessing. That's a good treasure. Now, that's a good treasure to store up in heaven. Now, maybe a treasure in heaven could look like this. It could be the person you shared Jesus too. You shared the gospel to someone so that they receive Jesus and their family line receive Jesus. Now, how great would it be that when you die and you go to heaven, right? And then someone taps you on the back of your shoulder. You turn around. You don't recognize this guy. And this guy says, brother, you don't know me, but I know you. You know why I know you? Because you shared your testimony at one of the camps that y'all did in the kampongs of Sabah, and my mother heard that testimony. And when my mother, as a teenager, heard that testimony, she received Jesus later that day. You don't know that, but she did. And she raised me up as a Christian, and I've known this all my life, and today I'm here, and I've met you, and I want to say thank you and I will embrace this guy. Now, how many of you think that's going to be a good treasure to store up in heaven, right? And maybe another treasure that, that you could see in heaven might be the saints, the believers, the family of believers who've been strengthened by your discipling, by your journeying with them so that through the roughest days, they stood firm and they held on and they made it across the finish line. And, to, and that day, on that great day, they will all be there with you. You will celebrate it together. Now tell me, is that not a good treasure? There are all these great treasures that we're going to store up in heaven. But I tell you what, 
I tell you, the greatest treasure in heaven is that all these secondary treasures all point to the greatest treasure of them all. That greatest treasure is Jesus Christ himself. It is Jesus Christ himself. And I'll tell you why I am belaboring this point. It is because you can take away all the secondary treasures and if you have Jesus, you still have everything. You still have everything. And, and I hope, I hope, I really hope that SIBKL will become the kind of church that our motivation to go to heaven is not, is not hanging ultimately on secondary treasures. And you may have heard me say this before, not on a road paved with gold, not on a room in a mansion, not on a crown of glory. Your ultimate motivation to get there to the other end and to meet Jesus is Jesus himself because he is enough. Christ is sufficient. Christ is enough for me, for me, for me, only Jesus. Amen? That's great treasure. Amen? And I tell you this, you know, in the, in the Luke equivalent of, of, of this text, Jesus tells this really interesting story about a man, a parable about a man who, who um, he's a rich landowner, his, his land yielded a big crop. And he said to himself, what am I going to do with all this crop that I have no place to store? And then he thought for a moment, you know what he said? He said, aha, uh-huh. I'll tear down my barns, build up bigger barns so that I can store all my excess crop there and then I can kick back, relax and all the days of my life, right? I'm done, I'm sorted. How many of you have been there? Like you, you're, just, you're just telling God, God, if this contract can go through, I can relax. Finally, I can relax. Now, what did Jesus say about this man? In the parable, he said, God says, you fool, today I'm claiming your life. And God claimed his life and all his crop in his barn. Pointless, wasted, nothing. Now, I want to rewind. Rewind just a little bit, right? You've got this rich landowner. He gets this huge yield of crop. He says to himself, What shall I do with all this crop that I have that I cannot fit into my barns? Up to this point, actually this guy is fine, you know. Up to this point, he's okay. But you know what? He missed it. You know when he missed it? When he said, aha, I will tear down my barns and build it up. You know what God would have wanted him to do? The excess, give it to the poor. He would have wanted him to give it to the poor. You know why? You know how I know this? Because in the Luke text, it ends by saying this, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And then in verse 33, he says, sell your possessions, give it to the needy, provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old with a, tr- with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Now, I am not asking you to sell all your money. If God tells you, do it. Don't, don't, don't do it. You know, I'm not telling you at any case. But I am telling you this. This parable is talking about your resources. And it's telling you about whatever resource you have, how you are stewarding it. Are you stewarding it and hoarding it for yourself? Or are you, uh, or are you, you, are you hoarding it for yourself? Or are you stewarding it so that it can constantly bless the kingdom? Because I tell you something, Jesus is essentially saying, if, it, if you're not contributing to the kingdom, then your resources are choking you up. 
If your resources are not contributing to the kingdom, then your resources are choking you up. Be a rich, be rich to God. Be rich to God. He will never shortchange you. I'll tell you why he'll never shortchange you. He's already blessed you beyond what you can have beyond what you can give. He's already given you Jesus Christ. He's already given you forgiveness for your sins. There is nothing you can give back that can outgive Him. So whatever you are giving back to Him, you are tithing it back to Him. You are giving it back to Him to say thank you for the gift of the cross. That is all. That is what it means to steward. And whatever else that you have, next week we'll hear um, Pastor Isaac share uh, about how because of this, you don't have to be anxious about what you will eat, drink and wear and so on. But you know what? All of this talk about how to be rich to God because He is your greatest treasure. Do you guys believe that Jesus is your greatest treasure? SIBKL, come on. I only heard like Pastor Chiu, Pastor Lee Chiu and Isaac. Yeah. Come on, SIBKL. Do you believe that Jesus is your greatest treasure? And you're excited about receiving that treasure. You're excited about meeting that treasure one day. You know, this idea is, is, is expressed in no better way than in the third verse of this old hymn, Be Thou My Vision. Riches I heed not. You know what? Why don't we sing this together? Amen? Amen? I'm going I'm, I'm to give you the key. I'm going to give you the key and then we're going to do this together. One, two, three. Riches I heed not, nor vain empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Stin my heart, High King of heaven, my treasure, thou art. Jesus is this treasure. Amen. Amen. Somebody shout amen. Somebody shout amen because Jesus is the treasure. Now, if Jesus is the treasure, then you got to keep your eyes on this treasure. Why? Because the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body is full of darkness. If then the light which is in you is dark, how great is that darkness. What does this mean? This means one thing. Your eye is a gateway. Your eye is a gateway. If you were to imagine yourself as a city, then this city has only one gate and that gate is your eye. Anyone who wants to transit in and out of you, any idea that transits in and out of you, any thought that transits in and out of you is likely going to pass through your eyes. What does this mean? It means this. The eye is a gateway to your thoughts. Whatever you see, you think about it. You can't even stop. You can't even control whether you will think about it. Your natural instinct, whatever you see, you think about it. I see a, I see a lady sitting here in a red dress. I'm thinking about it. I see a man sitting here in a blue coat. I'm thinking about it. You can't stop thinking about the things you see. So whatever passes through that eye gate triggers thoughts. And then when they 
trigger thoughts, then what do they do in its totality? It's going to trigger emotions. You're going to have an emotional reaction. And I'm not talking about like emo re reactions. I'm just talking about some kind of emotional reaction. I see a photograph of my brother. It makes me miss him. I see, I see, uh, I see an old friend. I, it makes me happy, right? I see, I see someone whom I've been estranged for for a long time. It makes me nervous. I don't know. Anything you see triggers some kind of emotional response. What else? It triggers your appetites. Whatever you see triggers you to want something more. And I tell you who knows this. Marketers know this. People who work in advertising agencies know this. People who work in, who put up billboards. Now, you can't drive anywhere in KL without being bombarded by one million messages. Buy this car and you will be a better man. Eat this chicken, you will be a happier girl. Buy this, whatever. Buy this, buy that, buy this, buy that. This is going to satisfy you. That is going to satisfy you. The eye is the lamp of the body. It is the gateway. Anything that passes through it gives birth to appetites. It may give birth to something that you don't want. Or, or rather, it might give, tell you what you don't want and give birth to other appetites. But eyes always trigger appetites. And when I'm with my young adult guys, I will always tell them this, what you feed grows, what you starve dies. So I want to ask you guys today, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? If your eyes are on the gutter, then it's creating in you an appetite for the things of the gutter. If your eyes are on high things, it's creating an appetite in you for high things. And this is going to influence your spiritual milieu. Everything inside your spiritual milieu, your, your, your desire to pray, your desire to read the word, your, 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 your compassion for, for people who are less fortunate, all of these things, your entire spiritual internal milieu is going to be influenced by what you see. So it comes in, it affects it. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But man, if your eyes are on the gutter, if your eyes are, are in the darkness, man, you can, you can spend a lot, a lot of time looking at really spiritually dark things, sometimes on the web. And that's going to influence your whole spiritual milieu. And at the end of all this, all the things that pass through your eye gate, what's it going to do? It's going to influence your treasure. It tells you what is valuable. It tells you what isn't. If you imagine, again, right, that, that our brains, our eyes receive stimuli. You see things. It gets into your brain. It gets into your heart. And it's porous, by the way. It just kind of like seeps its way through. It filters its way in. The higher the concentration of what you see determines the higher the concentration of what you treasure. Look at something long enough, you fall in love with it. Look at something long enough, even if you have a negative reaction to it from the start, look at it long enough, you will, you will neutralize your views about it and you'll become a bit more okay. Look at it long enough again after that, eventually you'll fall in love with something. Look at a particular model of car long enough. Long enough, just try that, just try that. Before you know it, you want to buy it. That's why marketers know these things. Christians must know these things. The eye is the lamp of the body. Amen? That's why what you see becomes what you 
treasure. And that's why the Bible tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Right? Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, in your running for Jesus, in your spiritual walk, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that entangles. Let us run with perseverance. Fix your eyes on Jesus so that what? So that you will not grow weary. You will not grow weary. You will not lose heart. Because if you fix your eyes on this level, you will grow weary. You will lose heart. Because you, and, and, and you know what? The treasures of this world will come and lure you away and say, you know what? All that suffering is not worth it, man. It's not worth it. Come, come. Enjoy this chicken. Enjoy this car. Enjoy the materialistic way of living. That's why. That's why when you come to church, we remind ourselves through scripture, we remind ourselves through songs. That's why we've got this song and we love this song so much that we would sing this song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Amen. I know, I know you guys love this song. Come, let's sing it together. Turn your eyes, Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face And the things of the earth Will grow strangely dim In the light of His glory and grace The eye is the lamp of the body. If you turn your eye to Jesus, everything else fades away. And his face becomes bright, it becomes shining, it, becomes, it consumes everything that you have, and then it fills your whole body. It changes your thoughts, it changes your desires, it changes your appetite, it changes your actions. Amen? You have to keep, man, man, Jesus is the treasure. And if he is the treasure, then you have to keep your eyes on him. And if you're keeping your eyes on him, then I tell you something, you can't hitch between two treasures. Everybody say this with me, one, two, three. You can't hedge between two treasures. Now, you know what that's like, to hedge between two things. Sometimes we hedge between two jobs, right? I've got this job offer, and I've got this job offer, and I'm waiting for them to counter-propose, and I'm waiting for them to, to, to raise the bar, and I'm waiting at the meantime for this other person, you know, to offer me something, and you're just waiting to see how you can get, who's going to give you the best deal. That's hedging. Sometimes people hedge between two lovers, right? Oh, spend time with this girl and then spend a bit of time with this girl. Not sure if, if she really likes me, but she, I don't know if she's going to commit to me. And then uh, uh, here a bit and then there a bit. That's hedging. You can't hedge between two treasures. Why? Because the Bible says this, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot. You cannot serve both. You can't have two masters. You might think that, oh, I think I've got, I, I, can, I can settle this. I got this. I can handle loving this and loving this. Wrong. 
Wrong. You can't. You think you can. You can't. And by the way, this is not the only part of the Bible that says something so clear about how you cannot have two masters, right? Because in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow, pastor, how can you say that? How can you say that? I love I love God. Oh, I also love the things of this world. Can ma, can right? Asabikal cannot. Cannot. Not sure, right? Not sure. So maybe someone comes up to me and they say, Pastor, I love Jesus. I really love Jesus one. And I love the, my cell group. I love seeing them grow. I love evangelizing. Actually, I love prayer altars. I love reading the Bible. But I also love cha kui tiao. And I also love expensive watches and belts and shoes. And actually, I also love nice cars. And actually, I also love Liverpool. And actually, I also love winning the Champions League. And then you might ask me, Pastor, can or not? I have all this love for the things of this world. But I really love God. How? How? Maybe you want to ask this person. Okay, let's start with the first one. What's the first one again? I love cha kui tiao. I love cha kui tiao. I know you love God, and I know you love cha kui tiao, and I can see why you love cha kui tiao. It's it, it, it's it's it, it's it's good, right? Whoever invented it, thought it through, right? During forty days fast and prayer, can you give up cha kui tiao? And then this person says, for forty days, ah, uh, yes. Kela, Pastor, can. I think I can do it. Chakwetiao, can. I can let it go. I know who you love. I know you love God more. I know you love God more. Amen? Amen. You know why? You know why you can't serve two masters? You know why you can't serve two masters? Because there will be times in your life both will call you. Both will call you. And you want to know who really is your master? Who you answer is your master. Who you answer is your God. Who you answer is your treasure. You cannot serve two masters. You can only serve one. By the way, I want to show you, but I want to show you this, this, right? No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And it says here, can and cannot. It's very interesting because Jesus doesn't say, no one should serve two masters. And he doesn't say you must not serve both God and money as if it is a preference. Like, like you're talking about which is the better option. And then he says you should not serve two masters. You must not serve God and money. Jesus doesn't say that. He says you, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. So what does this can and cannot mean? By the way, this can and cannot does not mean it is not the can and cannot of permission. As if I have to say, am I allowed to serve two masters or am I allowed to serve God and money? That's not the way can and cannot is being used. It is not the can of permission. It is the can and cannot of possibility. It is not 
impossible. You, no one can. No one can make it possible to serve two masters. It is impossible to serve both God and money. That's what it's talking about. So we're not even talking about a suggestion or a good idea or a or good counsel. It's telling you this is the way you're built. You can't. You try, you can't. You think you can do it, you fail. You fail. I'll tell you why. And I'll give you a picture. Imagine you're standing on the edge of a lake and there are two boats, two small boats. Let's just color them. Okay, one is blue, one is white. And you're standing on the edge of this lake and you're you're staring at these two boats. And you put your left foot in the blue boat. You put your right foot in the right boat. And you tell the whole world, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can love God and I can love the world and I can love God and I can love the world and I can love God and I can love the world. You know what's the thing? Before I go on with this story, I want to read you a paragraph from a book that I've been thumbing through. It's this book called The Christ of the Mount. Right? It's about the Sermon on the Mount, obviously. And I'm going to show you the text up on the screen, but I'm going to read it from here. It says here, The human heart cannot hold within itself two great loyalties. We think we are divided. That, that means that uh, we think we can, we can balance everything. Right? We think we can balance everything. But that is only outwardly. For in the inner shrine, the heart has chosen and the knee has bowed. You sooner or later give your heart to God or to mammon. Now, let's go back to the story of the two boats. You tell everybody, I've got my left foot in the blue boat, the right foot in the white boat. And if I were to ask you, which boat do you choose? You say, no, no, I've got no preference. I'm happy to be on both boats. And I've got absolute lie, lie. Not true. You have chosen. That's what the book says, right? And I think it's true. I think it says something that really reflects reality. It's a lie for you to say that, oh, I can have both feet in both boats and I can tell you honestly, I have no preference. You have a preference. The only difference is that the boats have not parted to such an extent that it forces your preference to show. In fact, your preference may not even be something you are aware about, but you have a preference. Deep in your inner shrine, you have a preference. Your heart is soul, your knee is bowed already. You have already picked which is your God. And all you need now is for life to tear you apart. Love God, love the world and the world will tear you apart. And the more and more it tears you apart, the more and more your true colors will show. One day you'll pick up your left foot, put it in the right. And I'll say, there you go. There, there, I knew you had a preference. You did that without even thinking. Friends, you can't serve two masters. You cannot. You will love one, hate the other, be devoted to one, and despise the other. Who's your treasure, S-I-B-K-L? It's because of this we come to church and we sing hymns like this. How many of you know this song? When I survey the wondrous cross. Yeah? Pastor Isaac's going to lead into the first line. 
Because I because I'm gonna I'm gonna get this wrong. Pastor Isaac, come, give us the first line. Yeah. The whole realm of nature mine that was so oppressed, far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Do you know why Jesus can demand your life, your soul, your all? Do you know why Jesus can demand your all? Jesus can demand your all because he gave you his all. Jesus can come and say, I expect no two-timing from you because I gave you my everything. Jesus can come to you and say, I expect from you a singular heart, a singular love. There shall be no rival affections when it comes to me. Jesus can say that to us. You know why? Because there are no rival affections from him to us. He loved us. He gave us everything on the cross. For me, that is the greatest treasure. For me, for me, that is the greatest treasure. And because of that, I want to spend my whole life being, being refined to the point that I can say, Jesus, I will give you my soul, my life, my all. Friends, who is your greatest treasure? Where are your eyes? Where have your eyes been? Maybe that's a better way to think about it. Where have your eyes been? And have you been hedging between two treasures. Let us close our eyes. Let us close our eyes. Because I can tell you this, for me, I would like to say this, I wish I can say this for the rest of my life, for me, for me, only Jesus, only Jesus. And as the music plays, I want to give a little call to all of us sitting here, you don't have to come to the front. It is not an altar call in that sense. But if you have been warring in your life with rival affections, a love for something other than Jesus that has come into your life, at some point it came into your life and you can see it dominating your heart. It's taken over. And I want you to know this because there's nobody looking around. Everybody's heads are bowed. Everybody's eyes are closed. If you want to stand for Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to take this seriously and I want to make you my treasure. I want to make you and you alone my treasure. And you, if, you, if you want to make a stand for Jesus and say, from this moment on, no hedging, no two, no two gods, no two treasures, no two masters, for me, only Jesus. And it's been hard. I know it's been hard because it has come in and it's invaded all of your affections. It's taken you over. And to let it go, to let it go is tough. To let it go is painful. My friends, my friends, if in owning something, it owns you, don't. 
let it go. If in owning something, it owns you, don't let it go.